Hello everyone, welcome to the Outclaws podcast. A huge thanks to the r slash Wings of Fire Discord server for collaborating with us. Please do also consider checking them out. Their link is in the description below. Before we get into the episode, I'd like to give a welcome to our new staff members, Iridium, Venus, and Ashatix. I'll now hand it over to the host, the Top Bug. Hello everyone, welcome to the fourth episode of the Wings of Fire podcast titled The Outclaws. It's a series where I invite a couple of guests to appear on the show to talk about a different book of the Wings of Fire series, created by 2ET Sutherland and published by Scholastic. I'm your show host, The Top Bug, and here are the guests appearing for today. I'm Atticus, I'll be a guest today. And basically, how I got into Wings of Fire is I came across it in my school library when I was in the second grade of secondary. And I just realized the this story really ha- does have an arc, and there are actually a lot more books that I expected. So I started off there, and the first book that I've actually came across is The Dark Secrets. I obviously can't start reading from there, but I did, and I think it's pretty interesting. It's one of my favorite books still, to today. Yeah, I think it's definitely a good one. Um, yeah, I came across it, um, I was working on a library around... 2000 i would say 2017 because there was like a darkness of dragons promo outside where i was working at and there was also dark circuit that was just lying out in the hallway and i picked the series from there and yeah i really like it so i wanted to create the podcast because i wanted to talk more about it i am claystar i'm basically your just average waff nerd i discovered the book series in fourth grade when we were out doing what's it Scholastic Book Fair shenanigans back when book three was out and book four was about to be published, and I have basically read them incessantly and nonstop for years after that. Mm-hmm. My name is Yaven. When I was like 17 or something, and I stumbled upon the graphic novel, that's how I discovered it. Mm-hmm. Last but not least, Alter, do you want to begin with yourself? Yeah, so, I mean... I guess I, I don't really know how in the first place I got into Wings of Fire, but uh, I just looked through a local bookshop and found a book, and I've basically just been reading it, like, ever since. I haven't stopped, ever. Alright, we'll just leave it a mystery. Four episodes in, and I'd say it's pretty good. So it's definitely plenty of things to talk about. And, um... I will say that this series will contain spoilers for Wings of Fire, but we won't spoil any future work. So today we're able to bring up events that happened in The Dark Secret along with previous installments. Which released, here we go, so here's the book uh, that released October 29, 2013. i start reading the back cover. Oh, I feel old now. Yeah, honestly, yeah, I read 2013 and I was just like, oh my gosh, like 10 years? Jeez. But then again, we did the, the first episode around the series' 10th anniversary. Unbelievable. Oh. Yeah. Okay, in the shadows, trouble is brewing. The mysterious nightmares keep everything hidden, from their home and their queen to their allegiance in the war. Now that they've kidnapped their own dragon out of destiny, and Starfight is finally meeting the rest of his tribe, whether he wants to or not. The Nightwings have also kidnapped several innocent Rainwings, now trapped in the dark, barren, miserable place that is the Nightwing Kingdom. Starfight wants to help the Rainwings, but he's busy saving his own scales and trying to find a way back to his friends. The fate of two kingdoms rests in his talons, and with no one to save them, Starfly will have to find a way to be brave before it's too late. Yeah. Um, before we get started, I want to ask each of you like your general thoughts. I think, personally for me, uh, I remember reading this around a couple years ago. And I thought it was alright at first, but I feel like going back for another read, I actually found more things to appreciate than I did the first time. And I would 
arguably could call it one of my favorites in the first arc, if not the whole series. I really like how what's in book four, they kind of separate Starflight from everyone else. I mean, usually you do that in a Paw book, but the way that they like completely take him out and he's always thinking and imagining about what the other characters do in the series is really nice because although you don't have the other awesome characters, you get to experience Starflight and get a sense of what the others would do at the same time. Yeah. Also, to add on to that, I do agree with Claystar. Um, basically, this book really does um, develop a lot on this particular individual character instead of like literally shifting focus between all the different protagonists because there are like five um, dragonets that are all together. But this time, it's like um, he's in a completely different setting, um, completely new cast almost, um, completely new characters, sorry. Um, and I just believe that uh, you just get to actually see the pro process as the character begins to develop and actually change a bit. It's very interesting. This is a really, uh, really interesting um, topic that we can get into. Of course. I think to add on to that, I would say like, um, I really enjoyed Starfly's development throughout the book, which I'll be able to dive more into later. But I think his character changed progressively throughout the first five books in a way that felt natural. For sure, yes. And um, it actually, I guess you know, for Starflight in the first three books, he actually is a bit cowardly. Um, obviously still a pretty big nerd. Like He likes studying a lot. He likes growth. He likes knowledge. But in terms of like real case cases, he actually have never really stood up and actually st stood his ground. And he has been always worried and paranoid. But in here, in this book, you actually get to see him developing some of his courage and he actually becomes a bit more confident and more brave um, when he gets pushed to the limits. So I think that is a very interesting, that is actually very interesting to see like a character developing some of his confidence up. And I think it's just a really good build up overall. It was, and that was like the main things I liked about the first arc was it's like his consistency towards its character and narratives. Yeah, like... It's very consistent overall. Mm-hmm. Altered, what are your general thoughts? Uh, I just really liked the book because of the fact that I'm not sure if I'm missing something or, but the fact that you never really know, like, where they are in the book or, like, what exactly is happening. It kind of has, like, a whole mysterious aura about it to me. Of course, the Nightwing Island is pretty hidden and off from the rest of the globe. I guess we'll get started. Alright, I'll start reading like summaries of each part and feel free to stop me if you want to add anything or comment on something, right? Yo, sure, of course. Alright, so here we go. So we have the prologue right here, which is a cut to Clay's brothers and sisters, where they're basically going on patrol before they get ambushed by uh, nine ice wings, which actually killed a couple members of their platoon. And I think one of them, Marsh, was still suffering from PTSD from losing their sister Crane 16 days ago. So they managed to escape, and they all each complain about having to fight in the war before hoping that Clay can help commend it. So overall, it was like a very short prologue, but I feel like, well, I read the first, this the first time, I was just wondering, like, wait, what does this have to do with, like, anything else? Because, like, some of the ones are, like, a direct setup to, like, the rest of the book. Because I remember the, the first book's prologue was a setup to, like, them raising the dragonets. The second one was uh, webs in the seeming palace and so on. But this one, I feel like there's a really... The first, this book's prologue doesn't really come into play until the next one, because the Clay's Hopings have more of a, a role to play in book five than this one. But I thought it was a nice little break just to see what the rest of the world is dealing with the war. 
and all that. And also, we we get like some mud wings there, so that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, this. Uh, I mean, the prologue is actually is very important throughout the. Um, the entire series of the first arc. It's like a very small fragment, but a fragment that does talk a lot about um, uh, about some characters that um, have some thoughts about this war, because you never know about all the perspective about everybody. Obviously, they do hate this war, like a lot of people do hate this war, but you actually get to see them being tired. And this is like an, uh, an arc that like trails off to the next episode. I'm not going to spoil anything. But um, it just it just keeps going, and without this part, you never actually get to understand Clay's family more because this is like even though it's not exactly the most like detailed part of the entire story, but it does um, focus a bit more on other people besides the main cast or yeah. besides the main characters. I think they're also they also mentioned like in uh, the first few pages like uh, they were unsure why uh, Queen Morhen sided with Burn in the first place. So it's also like questioning orders from authority. Yeah, it creates a little bit of a question and a little bit of doubt. Like you get to wonder why that actually happens. And I think that is a pretty good way to get everybody engaged. The theme is very nice, especially considering like a lot of the morals and ideals questioned throughout the book is reflected in the prologue. So it's not like completely wasted. Like everyone says, oh, yeah, like mud wings are... Uh, what's it? What do they always call it? Like the underdeveloped character design. But um, I really think that they can also be a really good setting stage for morals and interesting characters. Right. Indeed, of course. And I think that sort of details do tend to build up eventually. Obviously, they do stick to the original design and a little bit. Um, obviously, it was originally underdeveloped, but they do develop oh, um, overall, generally throughout the different uh, throughout the the arc. And then it sort of like trails on to the second arc, even though it's not like the main focus. Right, of course. Mm -hmm. That was another thing. And also there was like a plenty of PTSD in the first uh, act. So I was like, hey, fun times. I also got like some, got some shredded wings and blood pouring from the throats. So yeah, good start overall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just reminds how much different it is from the other series. Just a little bit of... It's kind of dark. A little bit of violence to start the morning. Um, definitely, of course. And I mean, there are there are quite a, a bit of a depth going on here because it shows a lot about um, the people's well-being, uh, about the dragon's well-being, because they just fa uh, face like some casualties and now they have to survive and there isn't a break for them at all. So this is just, this just basically conveys a message of how awful war actually is, but it happens. Right. But also, like, where they attacked was pretty interesting, too, because it was, like, on the Mudsky border, which is, like, very far from the Ice Kingdom, so that was, like, a clue in on, like, the, the portal being used for later. Yeah. All right. Indeed. All right, well, I think that's the, the prologue. Um, let's go yeah. to the the first act, which is the secret plan, uh, chapters one to six. If Again, feel free to stop me anytime at all just to add something or whatnot. Of course, um... Here we go. Starfleet wakes up in the middle of the volcanic Night Kingdom after being grabbed by the Nightwings at the end of the last book. He's in a dormitory surrounded by other Dragnets. They said that he's there because he failed. Before I can really think about what this means, he's brought to a room deep in the volcano full of Nightwings by Morosir to interrogate him for information. The Queen is not there, but her daughter Greatness is. 
After Starflight accidentally lets slip that the Rainwings are planning an attack on the Night Kingdom, and Deathbringer is imprisoned for helping Glory escape the Night Kingdom, he goes hunting with Morosir. After a comment from Starflight about horribly dead and infected with bacteria, Morosir's prey must be after sitting there dying in the forest floor for several days, and how his stomach wouldn't be equipped to deal with it, Morosir decides to know who Starflight's father is, and takes Starflight to meet him. Apparently his father is Mastermind, the head scientist of the Nightwing tribe. While on the way to his lab, Starflight runs to the, the Nightwing that Morosir picked out to replace him in the star prophecy if needed, Fate Speaker. The three of them head to Mastermind's lab, and they find out that, as head scientist, he's the one who's been chaining rainwings to walls and doing experiments on them. Combining everything he knows about the rainforest tunnels, the Venom experience, the Nightwing's inexplicable decision to support Blister, he figures out their master plan. The Nightwings need a new home. The volcano's slowly killing them off. They plan to help Blister win the throne in the war. Then her army can take the tunnel from the Kingdom of Sand and the Nightwing army can take one from the volcano. And together, they can enslave the Rainwings to claim the Rainforest for their own. So that's pretty a lot to take in on the first act. So let's go through it, yeah? Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. yeah. So already, we're already kind of like separated from the main group. Because as you mentioned earlier, Atticus, like, yeah, this is the first time where we're like fully separated from the main dragonets for a good portion of the book. I would say about 80%. Yeah, about 80 almost 90%, actually. It's just the last few parts where they actually get to make an appearance. Other than that, I think they don't really get to make an appearance except for Starflight. Well, because, yeah, he's, like, taken away to the Nightwing Island for, like, most of the book, so... Of exactly, course he would be yeah. ...most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I think this decision is actually really interesting, made by, like, the author, because, like... Um, you don't really get to see all, all those character developments. Um, maybe the first book, there are a few parts where they are separated, um, because, you know, Claire has been brought to the prison and things, but it's not as long as this book, because this book is like, 90% of the time it's just one, one, um, one dragon, and with the rest of the group where they don't even know, and actually get to creating, uh, creating bonds, actually creating relationships, within a new sets of people. I think that's just very interesting. Well, not only that, but I think uh, each of the Dragonets have a lot of growing up to do, both individually and together. And I yeah. think for for them growing up together, I think that almost all but concluded by the end of the third book. I mean, they still had a bit more development in the second books, but I could see why um, Starfo would be alone for a majority of the time. Yeah. Oh, no, not so much that they... I forgot to mention this earlier, but yeah, they tossed Vengeance into the Lava Pit. Oh, yes. Yeah, that is actually pretty cool because, like, I mean, really, really cruel thing to do. Like, um, I mean, not, I mean, the, you know, the Nightwings, they've actually gotten used to this. They're not really as big of a reaction as um, we, um, as we'd think by a lot of, a lot of dragons. But obviously Starflight was, um, was looking, looking at this is usually very tr tragic for even like nor ordinary, ordinary people um, as readers. But for them, it's like they've already seen it so many times. That represents how messed up they really are. Well, I mean, each of them are very desperate because they've been living on that volcanic island for such a long time. Yeah. And all of them are pretty much starving. So the whole, I think the whole tribe was endangered, they say, because there was like about 40 uh, Nightwings in that uh, council. Yeah, there are quite a lot of them. Like, they're actually lining up ag against, it's like forming like a, a huge circle. And it's really crowded, like... I found the interesting detail how they hang off from like like bats, 
which I found pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah it exactly. makes them a lot more menacing. Mm. Yeah. It does convey the idea that they are um, indeed pretty, pretty intimidating. Well, not to mention they're also very isolationist. Yeah. Yeah, I think, what's it, Mastermind is a perfect example of the desperation of the Nightwings, especially with all, like, their Rainwing experiments and stuff, and how he essentially shows how bad of a parent he is the Starflight, but, like, all the experiments he does and stuff is all out of necessity to try and make sure that his tribe survives the horrible island. Yeah, but that also shows that some of his morals are uh, lacking a little bit because, like, you you don't just chain somebody up and just do all the exper experiments on them. Like, even for like even for us, I'm not going to go a lot into like the brutal things, but you know, even for us, we do tend to do some experiments. Like scientists, they do experiments on other organisms, but uh, we never actually directly capture in person and just do all the experiments. This is just straight up cruel. And doing this, you're not actually putting them in like environments that they're usually in. That is very low in ecological validity. And you just it just doesn't represent no um like how an ordinary rainwing would basically um would basically live on and um and all the characteristics won't show because you just lock them up in a cage or lock them up in chains in this case. I like this comment from uh, Nova here. Um, I feel like Mastermind showed Starflight a future version of himself that he could be, and a realization about what he wants. I think the yeah the purpose of introducing Mastermind into the picture was essentially what a what Starflight could have been without his humanity, in a sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, he's not exactly not um he not exactly doesn't have humanity but that also shows how much the the actual um the, like the tribe is actually affecting their way of thinking like they don't really have a lot of morals and not a lot of eth ethical considerations and yeah it makes them look really uh it makes them uh, a bit cruel in terms of doing anything any actions i think it's also bordering on the line between resolve and madness yep um yeah, for sure. While it is um, born out of necessity, it's not exactly the world's best decisions. <laughs> no. I mean, <laughs> no. Not. It's understandable, but it's not really justifiable. No, mm -hmm. it's not justifiable. Yeah. But I think for these things, like, um, there has to be something to do in terms of, like, um, like how how they how the environment affects them, because this is a lot to do with the society as well. So I think it's like society is having quite a bit of a flawed mindset that also um, gets to affect the people, um, or in this case, dragons, and they just kind of lo lost their lost their sense of morality, and they just basically do whatever they need, um, do whatever they they feel like would be uh, would benefit them, but they don't care about anything else. Alter J, uh, what are your guys' thoughts? Well, this, for a kid's book, this has a lot of dark themes. Yep, nothing. Just a enslavement. We can add that to the list of family-friendly topics. Um, <laughs> very family-friendly, guys. Let's just leave some dragons. I mean, they did bomb the Summer Palace back in Lost Air. And they literally killed someone in the prologue of book one. They did. That is true. I, I think that they also mentioned how like three rainwings died from uh, malnourishment in the Nightwing Island. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Family friendly for all ages. We can add that to the family friendly counter. 
I think we're at like seven already. <laughs> yeah, like, probably. Who cares? It's just enslavement. Like, what could possibly go wrong? No, it's everything goes wrong there. <laughs> what do you know about enslavement? Yeah, everything goes horribly wrong. I think when was the last time something has gone right for the Dragonauts? Um, honestly, none ever since they were born because they were born for a purpose of stopping the war. <laughs> but they're doing everything to encourage the war. It's just like <laughs> you never get to stop it. Yes, I think so. Said when Gory became queen. Okay, yeah, that was like one good thing out of like thirty other I'm bad sorry. things. I'm sorry. Have you taken a look at the captured and put in jail counter yet? <laughs> uh, the, there's just... fourteen, fourteen of them that are currently uh, enslaved by the Nightwings. Enslavement yeah. is okay. That was okay. This is a rhetorical question. I wasn't actually expecting people to. Okay, no, it's fine. This is this is fun. Just. <laughs> Feel free to debate me all you want in the live chat. It'll be funny. <laughs> It'll be funny. Mm, something I'm interested in is the technology. Like, Talking about the most popular track. Oh, of course, because they're like the most technology level. Of pretty much everything people are bringing up in the chat that's supposed to be good has its own has its own consequence that was probably worse than the good thing. Mm. Okay, yeah. Well, talking about technology here, I like explaining to me the. Wings. How do okay. they? What kind of level of technology do they have, though? Well, think... they they create like a desalinizer. I think it was called where they purified the water. Yeah, but also keep in mind, one of the main setbacks for Mastermind was that he couldn't freaking invent glass because that's the easiest solution to counteract the venom because it's transparent, but you can essentially attack through it. And uh, mm -hmm. what's it? There are multiple references, especially in Book Five, to glass objects like. What's it where you'd be able to light a candle and put it inside uh, one of those yeah. glass holders? And apparently, I'm guessing this is one of my first theories that since um, they were so isolated, they weren't able to trade technologies with anyone on the outside. I was and, about to say, yeah. yeah. So, makes sense. Yeah. That was later in the book where they said because they were so isolationist, they couldn't gather any information or like trade routes from any other tribe. So, they had limited information based on like their own home and whatnot. We certainly yeah. know Mastermind never leaves the island. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So okay. basically, they separate themselves from a lot of knowledge they can potentially get from exploring outside, but they just keep stay staying hidden, and they think that makes them superior. But in in uh, in a, um, in reality, like the truth is, it it doesn't really because it makes them quite oblivious to um, the the world basically because they're just surrounded in this environments that they're used to, and when they don't explore, their their creativity will start to str shrink a bit because they then don't really know what other things is out there except for the things that they are actually used to and they actually uh, get to see because eventually you get to explore the entire place where you're living in but you won't start to actually have new knowledge or new input if you don't get to ex uh, if you don't get to explore the world and actually get to see and interact with new things uh, i think that's one of their bottlenecks here Okay, yeah. before I before I forget, uh, what are you guys' thoughts on Fate Speaker? Because I know she's pretty a divisive character in the fandom. I really like her. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I mean, Fate Speaker does have like um, a pretty important role here. Like, I, she acts as a kind of a supporter um, to Starflight, and actually, it's like um, very ironic where all of the all of the dark um, 
of the Nightwings here are pretty mean and you know they're pretty cruel and lacks all the all the morality and all those sort of like um um things that um like not gen- normal people or normal dragons will actually think about but um mm-hmm. not fate speaker she's seems to be quite chill um she's a bit more positive than the others um she seems actually um genuinely care for all the individuals there because you know um fr- um right here when you get to and um, meets the new meets the new members meets the I, new I, characters i think we could probably like discuss more of this in there too i realize we've been in f1 for a little bit yeah mm. yeah exactly but yeah there is a contrast here and it's very very obvious and i think that sort of highlights her and spotlights her as one of the characters that um will be more focused on later i love how she makes fun of morris here okay. <laughs> yeah I, I, I don't remember how she made fun of morris here that was like in the First, uh, what was it, like chapter five? I think it was. Uh, I yeah, I think it was chapter five. It was literally just, oh yeah, I heard you, but I'm going out anyways. <laughs> yeah, great argument. Unfortunately, I don't care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> What's it? One of the just totally derailing this for a different conversation. I love how it takes exactly two pages for Starflight to figure out the Nightwing's entire plan. I mean, yeah, he's a smart uh, boy, but uh, it literally took him two pages. I mean, I mean yeah, it gives him it gives him a lot of plot, like the gives you essentially what we're going to be going up against. But he's really smart, and that really just proves it because it's freaking hilarious. I mean, he technically figured that out over the course of four books because it was like a culmination of different things, with uh, the Morrisier coming down the raid on Scarlet's Arena, the them him telling to choose Blister in the war. The tunnels, like I feel, like all of that was cluing in on their plan. Yeah, I just love how fast he clicks it together. Yeah. It foreshadows their plan. It's like a foreshadowing to uh, the future events that's actually going to happen. And I think it trails off pretty well because, like, you get to know a bit more. You, it slowly accumulates into uh, to your knowledge of what their plan is, and eventually, it uh, it makes you it makes you think. Basically, um, this process and um, the thing is like. It's very, it's very well, well laid out, where you get to know some, and you get to doubt about some, and there are just a lot of thoughts. It makes, it basically makes, makes you immersed into the uh, the story, and actually gets to sort of um, tell you a lot of the details that you won't get, you won't actually get if you just basically read, for example, like a summary, or if they tell you everything. They actually make you think here. Of course. Yeah. So, what were you what were you trying to say? Sorry about that. No, I was about to say I think we're ready to move on into Act Two, unless anyone else has any last minute thoughts. Um, I mean, there are a couple of things that there are a couple of things that what we might be able to talk about. It's that like, um, you, um, I mean, you can actually see the um the behavior of the Nightwings there because like you know remember the part where. Um, Starflight is actually not used to the atmosphere and actually, like, even the smell. Their breath smells horrible. It, like, basically tells you how awful their condition really is in terms of their living environment. And they don't, especially, they don't actually get to go to anywhere else. And you can see that where they actually, where they're actually going is just surrounding the area, like, the, the, the land of, the land of volcanoes. And there's nothing else for them. And they seem to be pretty restrained, most of them. And they, um, there's a, a, v- a very huge, strong sense of authority there that kind of controls them. Well, each of them are malnourished, and they're only allowed to eat, like, five times per month, I think. 
because they rotate yeah. eating schedules. Let's move on to Act 2. Uh, mm-hmm. Act 2, Queen's Secret, Chapter 7 to 20. Again, feel free to stop me anytime. Um, Starflight gets to meet the other alternative dragons of destiny. A skywing named Flame, a mudwing named Ochre, a sandwing named Viper, and a seawing named Squid. They fight constantly and never get along, and they all seem to hate Fate Speaker. In order to test their mettle, Morosi orders the alternate dragonets to kill Starflight. So yeah, that's a pretty good like first exercise, I'd say. Yeah. Hey guys, kill Starflight. Yeah. <laughs> GG Nori. <laughs> Yeah, like imagine just getting, like literally just getting somebody r- out of random when you just introduce them and now st- tell others to kill them. Like, like there's like a WTF moment in your brain. Look, hello. It's Mark. This is Margie. What's up, Jay? It's like, hello. This murder you. Mm-hmm. Of course. So as they were getting ready to kill Starfight, he flies away and manages to trick the others except they speak into getting arrested. We find out that that Morcia has orders from the Queen to choose either Fate Speaker or Starflight to be the Nightwing in the prophecy, and then kill the other. Later that night, Fate Speaker wakes up Starflight and demands that they go explore the fortress. They go to the part that collapsed in the previous volcanic eruption nearly ten years ago, the old treasure room. It's empty inside except for two shoveled Nightwing corpses. They had likely been buried inside the room during the eruption, guarding the tre- treasure and suffocated before anyone could free them. Starflight notices that one of the guards is holding a peculiar-shaped sapphire, a dream visitor, one of three created centuries ago by an unknown animus dragon, with the ability to connect people through dreams. With that jewel, he could see his friends again. He, he tucks it under his mouth so that Fate Speaker doesn't notice and ask questions. He makes it into the dormitory and tries to view Kinkiju. After getting kicked out of a nightmare, he learns that his friends believe he willingly went through the tunnel to warn the Nightwings of the Rainwing assault. Waking up in the morning... Murasir finds the alternate dragoness through the rain, all the way to the Pyrian mainland, and into a scouting base. He tests them by trying to convince all the sh- soldiers to switch their sides from burn to blister. Right as the dragonets are about to be captured, several nightlings break through the door and slaughter all the soldiers. It turns out this was just another one of Murasir's tests. Swig gets sent off by his own for being useless, according to Murasir. After making it back to the fortress and bed, Starflight is woken in the middle of the night by Fate Speaker again, who says that she wants to follow Flame, who's sneaking out. The three make their way to Deathbringer's dungeon, and Fate Speaker and Starflight continue to explore the fortress, uh, looking for the throne room, because they want to talk to the Queen of the Nightwings about Morsier's awfulness, and find out why she only that she only speaks through greatness, because she lives in lava. Like, actually lives in lava. She's just taken there like a little hot tub. Except that this getting out of the hot tub will kill you. Yeah, she was blasted in the throat by an ice wing during battle. And diving into the lava was the only thing that saved her since it combated the ice within. I, I, just a little pause here. I found it interesting that, yeah, she just chose to jump in the lava. She had no idea if it would save her or not, but I suppose it was better than freezing to death. Yeah, because she'll yeah. instantly freeze if she doesn't find that lava. Yeah. It's basically yes. whether the uh, it's basically a decision of life and death whether you risk it or die in dying lava or you just basically freeze. Well, you'll die either way if you don't know. Yeah. So just take the choice. Exactly. Hey, we're we're I can't. I can't wait for the lava wings to come in arc four. Yeah. <laughs> New OC. Lava wings. I mean oh. the the mud wings were from blood red dragons can survive the lava from one to two minutes at most, but no more than that. Yeah. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's pretty tough. It's a one yeah. second decision. Either it's gone or maybe still a possibility. Which yeah. I suppose it was better than the alternative. Yeah. Anyway. Of course. Um Battle Winner keeps herself hidden so nobody else knows. It's also revealed that she really was telling Marcia to do all those horrible things. She basically gave him free reign over what he does, all to save the tribe. After returning to the dormitory, Starfire tries the Dream Visitor again. He finally manages to make Glory see him, and explains his predicament and the Nightwing's plan. After using the Dream Visitor, he has the sinking feeling that someone saw him using it. Battle training in the morning goes horribly wrong when Viper slashes Flame's face with her venomous tail after being pushed by Starfight to save Fate Speaker, and she lands in a pool of lava. Starfight begs Ochre to go save him with his blood red scales, but he man but he tells him that he was never born in a blood red egg, neither on the brightest night. So that's when Marosir realized that's when Starfight realized that Marosir was trying to tamper with Fate entirely. And he goes to confront him about this before Marcio shuts him down. After that, he goes with Mastermind to another Nightwing meeting. And there, the council decides that they're about to attack the rainforest that night. That's uh, Act 2, so yeah, a lot more to take in. I love how Nova sees Starfly as a threat. No, it's just, yeah, let's take him along to our council meetings. This won't go wrong. <laughs> well, no, I mean, they kind of just don't mind him there. Um, let me think. I think uh, yeah, Fate Speaker came more into play in this act. Um, Definitely. I, I, like... found, I found her situation to be a lot more tragic than when I first read it. Because when I first read it, I was like, oh, okay, this is great. She's just going to say, oh, I foresee you're going to, I don't know, go left today. I knew like, I, It's literally her care. Like to me, her character was literally the me and empath meme. Yeah. <laughs> F for. F for Viper. Yeah. I mean, Viper was gonna kill her, so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he he dive in to save somebody. So either way, there will be casualties. It's very difficult to avoid. <clears throat> like, it's it's devastating when you act when you actually put it put your test and they actually tell you to like kill each other. It's just like, it's it's basically whether you survive or you actually get to save somebody that you actually care about or just basically let them die and when you do obviously you do expect some things to go out of hand because like you're next to a pool of lava what do you expect like really yeah. i also found fate speaker's situation to be way more tragic than when i went it the first time because like how i read it is that she was basically trying to like convince herself that the other dragonets were her friends when really they just fight out despised her and she would constantly keep telling herself that to like, yeah. block all the pain, I guess. And I think it was Starfight that was able to help her snap out of it later. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, she she is like like you know, um, if you know a technical term, like a Stockholm like Stockholm syndrome. Like she's literally um trying to twist her mind in order to fit in. Like this is something that happens when you get abused all the time. I mean, she she technically wasn't kidnapped though. No, she wasn't kidnapped, but she's abused. Like you don't have to be kidnapped in order to be abused. So yeah, she has been. Um, she has been quite isolated. She's very different than the others. But um, you know, she is actually the one who actually supports um, Starflight throughout his entire his entire mission or his entire plan or entire discovery here. Like yeah. almost like a duotagonist uh, here. I mean, I would say she was like the. What was the name of the? The second protagonist, the Deuteragonist, I think that was the yeah, term. Yeah, yeah, Deuteragonist, yeah. 
Yeah, she's she's technically the Dugaragonist of this book. She is, yeah. She's ultimately pushing for like the main plot points here. Like they found the dream visitor in that old treasure room and they were able to confront Queen Battle Winner directly. And mm-hmm. she was also the one to like help him escape off the island. So she does play a major role in this book and to not as much people's credit. Absolutely. Like um she's basically like a uh, like a huge support to Softlight in terms of like courage um courage um bravery and even like um thinking like uh, critical thinking at that exact moment like with that fate speaker i think it's going to be much more challenging for starflight he lacks the confidence he lacks like um the immediate critical thinking he just goes into panic mode all the time but this kind of settles him down a little bit and it actually gets to think and actually gets gets to act immediately in that exact moment and I just think, yeah, she is very important. Of course. And I think Starfly definitely had a growth of character in this second arc, too, because, like, he had to face, like, some pretty horrible things. Like, when he saw, like, that entire Skywing base get burned down to the ground with everyone trapped inside. Oh, like, yeah. That, that was a pretty harrowing Oof. experience. Because oh. not to remember just minutes before, he, w- he was basically giving a brave speech of how he promises that he'll end the war and then everyone will be able to go home. Just for them just to get brutally slaughtered not even minutes later yeah it's just uh i mean like honestly that part is just it's just straight up unnecessary like you don't they don't have to do this like because they got convinced like you know the way that starfleet does it is by um motivation is by actually offering something logical that's like a logical reasoning there when you get to you when you want to amend like the sort of um conflicts and a sort of um violence there but eventually just all that swept away in a in a single brush like that is just horrible imagine how you feel like when you actually start to convince somebody but all your work is just through to waste he did able to hold his own against viper i mean he did indirectly kill her yeah one more ptsd for the ptsd tally no, but yeah. he actually gained, he actually gained enough courage to like actually stand up to Murrows here because at that point he was just kind of following him around, just doing whatever he told. But he actually like confronted him about altering the prophecy and fate. Indeed, and that is a breaking point for Starflight because that's that point when he decided to in- interfere with the battle and actually dives in to save his to save his friend. And after that, he got some. He he got more. He um he actually got more. He got more courage and he actually has more self-confidence after this because before he's like always doubting when you see his um his thoughts because this book really does reflect a lot on the character's thoughts and actually writes it out that's something very unique to this book even though uh, um some of the more uh some of the more detailed books to do this and you actually get to see him like instead of panicking and doubting everything he starts to come with a plan okay what can i do next instead of oh what should i do uh, i got nothing in mind it's very different it's like a very huge turning point to him and it changed him change him in a long period i i think a lot of his decisions like in previous parts were basically revolved around what would clay tsunami and glory and sunny do what would each of them do that that was basically his major thought making decisions before he started making decisions for himself near the end and Indeed. during the book, like he spends his time thinking about Clay and Sonny, and eventually you see him like drifting away from that because throughout the book he's finding out who he really is. He's finding his confidence, and um, it's it's very apparent by the end of the book. Yeah, very, uh, very, very apparent. Like very obvious. 
I think that his character was like the most tragic out of the original Dragonets because like each of them got to like find some connection with like their home or family, but he has none of that here. Like his mother is dead, his father tortures Rainwings, and then the entire island is just killing off his tribe slowly. Yeah. And not to mention, like, near the middle point where he visit Dream visits Kikuju, like, he, he firmly believed that his friends thought he betrayed them. Oh, yeah, that part. So that was definitely, like, his low point when he felt, like, really alone and worthless. Yeah, and he, and he felt guilty as well, because he tried to, he tried to do something and then eventually ended up feeling that he has actually done something bad and hurt his friends. That is just really, really sad up there. And... You actually got to see something, is that um, this book also tries to convey the message of try to find who you really are. And obviously something that Stavla has been doing, I think is a really great inspiration in life. He puts himself into others' shoes and actually thinks about what others think, uh, what what others are thinking. But he put he's like doing too much of that instead of actually discovering who he really is. I think another important theme of this book in particular was just like, breaking away to like forge your own path because like for the past three books he was like a pawn of someone else for the most part yeah because he was definitely like he was try he tried to convince the others to switch sides to blister but he wasn't having none of that no he's not mm. so it does show a lot of uh, character development here um he's a very complex character like there are lots of thoughts here lots of uh, thought bubbles i think I think out of all the characters in the first arc, he, his was the developed the most consistently because we see it gradually progress from each book. Yeah, definitely. Because like um, he he changes um, every time when we see him. There are something to add to. It's like a steady accumulation according to you, very consistent. And the other characters, I think some of them, for example, I, I mean, I'm not gonna leak a lot of the other things, but for example, like um, um, Clay, I think there can be a more developments there. I kind of feel like. Clay, I'm I'm more sad of because like after the first book, where I remember talking about in the first book how like there was a whole theme of like nature versus nurture and like yeah that, that self conflicting identity crisis exactly. he had to go through. But then after that, his default personality trait just becomes food. Yeah, mm, <laughs> I'm I'm yes. I'm so upset about that. <laughs> by the way, yeah, Clay is a good character. Like, why? Why? Like, the thing is, like, they can do, they, they're basically, like, simple, simplified everything. So he's like, oh, because his theme is food in the, in the first episode, then just make it that way and just get rid of everything else. (laughs) It's sad. God. He had, he had so much potential and they ruined it like that. Oh, God. If I ever do a graphic novel uh, episode on the first book, I'm definitely going to rant about that. Yeah, got that with you. That's a that's a drawback of this book because like um this character is like really really gone when you actually saw saw a lot of build up and then it just suddenly like goes whoosh going all the way down the hill steeply. I think with the series of like so many different characters, like some characters are definitely gonna be more consistent than others. Yeah, um, and this is like one very very particular and very obvious example. Of how uh, how the characters actually develop because I think that is some uh, that is some serious um, that's like a serious disadvantage here. Like this character, you actually grow to like them. But I mean, Clay, I think he he gets he, he can have more. He deserves more. He deserves more attention and more build up. But that just didn't happen. So this is my yeah. justice for Mudwings campaign. I'll make it into a T-shirt. <laughs> I will buy him a T-shirt. 
<laughs> yeah. It's the, just... hive, the hive mind continues. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that is okay, the no, that's that. that's no. that's arc three. <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 I was no, talking no, no. about the Wings of Fire hive mind oh. of Justice for Clay, not that one. Uh, okay, 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 thank goodness. <laughs> because, you know, that that's the thing about the namings and things. We get to misunderstand something. Gosh. Yeah, yeah, wrong one, wrong one. I want a t-shirt. Yeah. Wrong one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, um, any last-minute thoughts for the second act before we transition to Act 3? I mean, yeah. there there are some some serious things here because, um, I mean, they do get to experience a lot of um, you know, it's like a military, like a military style sort of, um, sort of like schedule where they get to do all the all the things in the morning and then at night they like have a solid schedule like they have to make sure like sleep and then the next day they have to like be waking up at a specific time to do something. It's just very cruel here. And uh, the way the way where the way where Starflight actually gets the dream visit the different dragons um, glory you actually get to see um, a bit of glory here there's like some focus on this character where she actually gets to listen and actually properly uh, actually properly analyzes the situation and makes sensible move moves here actually I think that is like very very essential because. That also um, shifts more focus because usually Wei Wings are described to be lazy, um, to be like um, very oblivious about things, and they just um, wants to go about with the schedule. But it shows that how Glory is such a considered character, and that also kind of trends off to the next arc. So we'll leave it to that. I was about to say, with that much discussion we had on Glory just there, I probably should have had you for episode three. Dang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's it? You should have contacted me earlier. Wait. Um, oh. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> real quick, I got one last thought, and then I'll we'll go on to yeah, part three. Ahead. But I think this also, while being a character development for both Fate Speaker and Starflight, is actually really good character development for Morosir as well. Not in like he's changing, but more as we see him more as the antagonist. Especially since his introduction in book one, he's not really flushed out except for I ate her glory. Well, he was definitely antagonistic, but the the main antagonist of that book was Scarlet. So yeah, but yeah. I like how he you actually see him more and more as a villain throughout this. Whether it's oh yeah, just straight up kill Starflight or sit and squid off to basically die, um, it really cements him as this book's antagonist and who we really should be working against. And seeing Starflight be able to build up his courage to go against Morosir is a huge W. Yeah, oh for sure, huge win for for Starflight. Oh. Morrissey was always shown as like very antagonistic. Like, I mean, don't forget he uh, he brought Nightwings to kill all the Icewing prisoners in the first book. Yeah, but after that, I just like we don't see that much of it to really cement him as our main antagonist. Yeah, I mean, in this book, I think he is quite quite an antagonist here. Like one of the primary, if not uh, uh, if not like primary, then secondary antagonist because the whole thing he has been like leading throughout like the all the abu uh, abusive. Uh, abusive acts all this sort of killing and basically even till the next arc there are just a lot of bad things happening and i think this is one of the longest arc isn't it like arc 2 is like basically the central point of the entire book i think arc 2 is definitely longer but I, i'm pretty sure arc 3 is the longest one arc uh, arc 3 yeah arc 3 is definitely long as well but arc 2 is like the central point where you actually get to see all the character development all the small details and yeah it's just very detailed very well very well thought about well arc 2 was also more about the history which is a, a discussion for another time 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, sorry. I mean, I mean the acts of this book. <laughs> oh right. no. All yeah, right. the, the act. Yeah. Right. Act three. Yeah, it was definitely that. Mm-hmm. All right. Any any last minute thoughts for part three? I think we're good. What's up? Oh, oh, you mean you mean? Oh, okay. Never mind. Never act mind. three. Yeah. Act three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Part act tomato yes. tomato. Section three clause one subclause four. There we go. Perfect. Number three. Yeah, Number pot- fifteen. Burger King foot lettuce. The last thing you want in your weekly book is more freaking dialogue. The last thing you want in Pantawa's the. Where am I going with this? Narnia. Uh, yeah, just let me. All right, let's just do this. Um. Yeah, we got it. Read the truth, which is chapters twenty-eight to twenty-eight. Uh, after racing back to the Nightwing dormitory and discovering that somebody has stolen his dream visitor and with no way to contact his friends, Starfire decides that he needs to escape back to the Rainforest right that moment. With the help of Fate Speaker, they escape to the tunnel to the Rainforest by convincing the posted guards that the Queen has ordered them to find the cure for Flame's poison wounds. After letting Glory know that the Nightwing's plan to attack that night, she readies her army. They decide to a- attack first and free the prisoners to give them the element of supplies and by using the tranquilizer guns that they can knock out any Nightwings that they come across without killing any or being killed, which was actually Sonny's idea. Starflight confesses his love to Sonny before heading off into battle. They get into the Night Kingdom as one big disguised army, but it's clear that something is wrong. The volcano is about to erupt. They begin to free the prisoners, and Glory takes Starflight to go have a chat with Queen Battlewinner. Um, on their way, Starflight realizes that Mastermind has been creating a sort of armor, one that supposedly keeps you liquid or something else trapped inside it along with a dragon. This armor would have been for the queen to wear when she exited the lava pool so that the lava would continue to combat the ice. When they arrive, Starflight, Glory, Greatness, and Fatespeaker all confront her. And Starflight shares his idea which the Nightwings could be welcome into the rainforest if Battlewinner handed her crown to Glory. Battlewinner is enraged and refuses to bow down to the Rainwings. She tries to step out of the lava pool to kill them, but she freezes to death. Glory, Starflight, free Deathringer while the volcano rumbles more and more violently. Starflight decides to save the Nightwing tribe from the impending eruption by allowing them to pass through to the rainforest if they swear allegiance to Glory. When the last few Nightwings go through, there's only one left to confront. Murasir tells them the truth, saying that he made up the prophecy. The entire thing was a lie, built by the Nightwings for the sole purpose of capturing the rainforest. Before the Dragonets have a chance to decide what to do with him, the volcano erupts. A tidal wave of lava and fire kills Murosir. As the Dragonets escape into the tunnel, Starflight is hit in the face with a blast of fire that leaves him blinded. The main book X ends with Starflight getting shot with a tranquilizer dart. Yeah. It was a very different tone of ending than the previous three books, which end on a somewhat hopeful note. This one is kind of bleak in the comparison. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a cliffhanger. Like, you would wonder, what happens to the main character? Does the main character die? If, like, if we don't know about uh, that's the next book, we, this mm. character will be featured again. It's like, we, 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 are re- we get really worried about this character at the end. I think one of my favorite things about this arc is, like, it's, it was basically a build-up to the deconstruction of, like, the Chosen Ones type storyline. Because you know how it usually goes, like, there's a prophecy, like, telling people, like, this is how you're going to save the world. But then it's revealed at the, at the end of this book that the whole thing was just a ruse, which yeah. I found very interesting. Because, like, there were definitely hints and pieces scattered along the book. I mean, I found it interesting in the third book that the Rainwings were the only tribe that did not know about the prophecy. Because when Glory brought them up to them, they had no idea what the hell she was talking about. 
yeah, a plot twist here. Like I that. thought that was definitely like a main clue towards this plot <laughs> point. Yeah, I I believe I believe so. But it's like it turns out everything that we've been told about for the past three books and even the most uh, the first uh, three quarters of this book is that uh, there's the prophecy going on to stop the war. But eventually, it's just um, it's just to be used for their own advantage. That also adds an extra layer of like the antagonist, the vil villainous um, sort of. Uh, sort of feeling to Morrissey and just shows how bad of a of of a person or a dragon he actually is. I mean, yeah, the whole I think they said they created the prophecy and when their forges got destroyed about ten years ago. So for the past ten years, like this is what they had to work with. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, I mean the the whole thing again, like throughout this uh, throughout this um, act, there are a lot. Um, a lot to talk about um how the main characters gets to return like the the dragonets uh, um um the dragonets like uh, sorry um for the for, for the prophecy they are back here and then they are actually trying to get a plan to um for the battle for the big plan so that they will actually be, um get to confront them and actually probably get something to work out and I just think this tone is entirely different than Act 1 and Act 2 because it's very mysterious here. But for Act 3, it's like um, a challenge to life and death. So it's very different. It was also a feeling of dread too because like, at that point, like they realized that, their that everything they'd done was essentially pointless. Yeah. What I've, what I've done is, bas is basically to help um, to do more bad instead of doing more good. And that basically adds another darker tone and might traumatize a lot of people here because, um, I mean, you're doing something uh, for the gain of, of, this, of this tribe and they almost succeeded until this point. And yeah, it's just it's horrible. It's like, it was definitely a plot point that turned the entire first arc around its head, which I found yeah. really enjoyable, which is that, that's kind of like one of the reasons I like this book was like that major twist, like... All of it was like everything up to this point was a build up for that. Yeah, it is. It it feels like um, until you get to like the peak here, it reveals everything, and boom, your whole perspective perspective of this story is much deeper, and also um, uh, also much more, uh, much more interesting. Instead of like just saving the world and plotting you to that um, to that particular particular ending, now is the whole ending change for you. It's like a turning point here. Yeah, so not only did we give Starflight and all the gang PTSD, but we're now giving the reader PTSD as well. Yeah. <laughs> no. uh, PTSD accounted to five now. The I lost count of the PTSD counter. This is probably gonna have to go in post. <laughs> it's like go higher. Don't worry, it's gonna go higher. And we get it goes much higher. higher. Oh god. <laughs> Everything um, just gets worse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it, not so much that, like, Sonny is the only one that really wanted to continue the prophecy, because, like, the others, like, when they found out that it was all a ruse, like, they just wanted to end it there. Yeah, even yeah. in the book, Starflight remarks on, like, yeah, pretty much everybody but Sonny would want to, uh, would want to stop. Yeah, that makes the reader think that she wants to continue, like, and also shows something. It's either that she is very desperate, she wants to get something done, because she has already started it, or it shows that she's a bit premature here. She hasn't actually developed uh, her ideas. And actually gets to know how awful of a thing that 
if I've been doing and what she will be continued to do. She might be a bit oblivious and a little bit like um, um, just a little um, a bit naive here. I, I would have to disagree. I would have to disagree with that entirely because like the the fifth book. Okay, this is my spoiler. It's like the fifth book was basically a deconstruction of all of that because like one of the main things that Sunny hates is when people mistake her optimism for stupidity. No, I mean this is what um, this book makes the readers feel. I'm not saying that is that is what's happening. It's not the it's not the truth at all. No, because you got all all the other things that happens afterwards. But that makes the reader think of either of these situations. But it's none of that, of course. Of course. Yeah, and I mean there there is another thing is that like, um, the, um, you know, imagine like. Uh, you have you have like a person who get, basically guides the entire land. Obviously, there are. I think there can be a bit um, more to add to the queen because we actually we get to have a few moments where we actually know uh, queen battle winner, but not a lot compared to the others like uh, uh, Queen Scarlet. Um, and like, what should I say? Like y when they stay hidden, and you're basically guided by somebody who you don't really even know. It's like. I don't know whether a lot of you. I don't know whether it's actually um, if you're comfortable in saying something. There's a movie that's called 1984, and it reminds me a lot about the Big Brother, where they're always watching you, and you don't even know who they are. Um, Clayster, Ultra, Javid, what are your guys' thoughts? Um, just like in the whole like twist and all that. I think it's actually really good. Like just looking at the twist and all. I I literally I kid you not. When I finished reading this book, I put it down. I sat down. And I was like, "You cannot be serious. That is not how it ends." It's both like a testament to the how the twist went and how invested you can get in the characters. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and also, this is like uh, Starfight's like catharsis factor because like he actually finally manages to stand up to Morris here without hesitation this time. Yeah, he uh, he like you can see that from from the beginning. Like there's al already a difference that you can compare the contrast between the beginning and the end. The beginning is just all right. I'm gonna follow whatever because uh, for the sake I'm very paranoid. And at the end he said, No, I'm not going through that again. I'm going to stand on my ground and I have my own beliefs and I think this is the right thing to do. Absolutely. And he also manages to push tsunami out of the way from the impending lava too. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's a really brave act, honestly. I think that's something that, like, hats off, honestly. Like, hats off to, to Starflight here. Classic Starflight W. Yeah. She actually yeah. stood up before in book two about when Blister was about to say that that Tsunami was the one that killed Gale. And he stood up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm hmm. And. Like, honestly, there are a lot to say about the ending as well, like going back to the ending where um, all, all of them refuse to continue the prophecy, but with a character that continues. That's like a kind of like a cliffhanger, adds a bit to the cliffhanger at the end of what's going to happen in the next one. Who is it? Who, who are we going to talk about in the next in the next book? Like, we, we never know. And but the, like this sort of point, it makes you wonder what the character thinks. This, um, the two examples that I've talked about might be some what the readers think. Maybe some of them have already guessed that it's not the entire situation at all, and they dis and they disagree with some of the other readers. But um, it like it's it's a good build up point, like um, to show, sort of show like oh this. 
this one particular character stand out from the others? Why would they want to continue? What exactly the story behind it? It's like basically a good point to wrap it up, except for like all the tragedies that happened where um, Stafford was rendered blind and injured and all these sort of like um, sad turns at the end where you wonder whether he actually gets to survive or not. It's very different. I think it also like it also challenges your understanding of like the events that like held place, because like up to this point like everything was pretty straightforward with each of the narrative plot beats, but this one like kind of like fl flips it over its head and kind of forces you to challenge your understanding of like the prophecy, each of their goals, the characters themselves. I think the yeah. central theme of this book is deconstruction. Yeah, deconstruction. Like it's basically it, it. It tells you all the things. The first three books is like, oh, we got an idea. We're telling you everything. But like the fourth book is like, nope, that's not exactly what we're telling you at all. Now you have to rethink again. Like that's basically, that's basically what I what I thought about after I've read this book. First, something that confused me, something that confuses me at the end is uh, why did he have to get blinded? Because the lava hit him in the eye. I mean, he. But he had the chance to escape it. No, not really. I mean, it's like a very critical moment right. where uh, he literally, uh, where they literally just experienced the eruption. And, you know, it's not like we don't have to think about what to do next. But before he even thought about, like, like literally leaving behind him, he, he got blasted. I mean, his blast is already not that serious because Clay already blocked some of it, but it still managed to land on some part of him. So I think... Like, it's not that easy to avoid, like, these sort of situations. Especially when you're, you're in such a critical moment, realizing such a big truth of what you have been doing is basically a lie and is plotting us to do our, uh, our, um, our own uh, selfish things. It's, yeah, it's, it's like basically all these things combined that makes him uh, unable to actually move. Like, imagine if you hear this, you would get traumatized as well, don't want you. All right. Yeah, that's just mm. what I think. It's still kind of confusing me that he got blinded and a few burns and that's <laughs> yeah. it. I mean, you don't even know whether he was actually blinded <laughs> at that point. You just you just know that he can't see and he actually got injured. But you never you didn't know until the no. next part. Are you, are you kidding? Like, he got hit in the eye with lava. So, I'm pretty sure that'll blind people. It either blinds him or he's dead. Like it either blind. Kind of made me wonder. It kind of made me wonder why was the choice to make him blind. Um, because plot and also volcano. Mm -hmm. Was I was thinking like, is this some kind of like, what you see is a lie? The prophecy was a lie all along. I mean, the thing is, like, you might think this character would continue to be, to be like, the front line and actually gets to, like, be, um, like, the, the ultimate guide now to everything. But at the end, it just basically destroys, uh, it basically destroys, like, this sort of thought of that. Oh, he will be, like, the, the senior guide now and then he won't ha face any difficulties in life anymore after he overcame his own fear and his own paranoia. But no, now he has to deal with, like, something physical. Either that... Or he is actually dead. He might not even be blinded, or he might have like literally blasted his brain or something, and he might have died. Of course. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. What a thing to go through. Yeah, it's like a very more tragic. This adds, um, this like this is like the entire cake, but with a cherry on top. Right. Yeah. Well, we have the epilogue to cover through. If you guys ready for that? Mm, absolutely. I mean, we have covered a lot of the of 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 third act as well.
We did, yeah. It left chat. It left chat. All we forgot to do is just mention Deathbringer. Deathbringer mm -hmm. exists in this, and I love yeah, it. Yeah, Deathbringer. <laughs> we do have a lot of things to talk about as well, because there is also the relationship part where, um, where the, um, oh my gosh, my brain is going all over the place. I was, I was mostly just thinking of that one quote where, what's it? They're in, he's in prison, and he's just like, well, it could be worse. Yep. <laughs> he was there with Queen Splendor, which was trapped for like months. Yeah, he's not like even that surprised or devastated. He's like, oh, I expected that it would happen to me one day. And and also, um, regarding to the third act, we actually we have covered a lot of the ending, but we haven't really covered a lot of the beginning where they're plotting out all the plans and things. Don't you see how well-coordinated they really are? That really shows up the six-year relationship with each other. They actually tend to uh, basically come up with a plan together. Like very instantly, this like it happened very, very uh, in a very short period of time. They didn't spend like a week or or a month to do to come up with something like this. They literally spent like a few days, or, or basically just a day. Pretty much a day, honestly. Yeah, exactly. Gloria just became queen like not even two days ago, and already she had to lead her tribe into battle, which they might die. Yeah, don't you think that's very impressive? Like it's very quick, and they uh, and she pulled it off like spot on. And also, there is a part about the relationship um, between Sunny, where um, Starflight tells Sunny that um, he love he loves her. Uh, yeah. What do you think about that? He gets reacted. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's another breaking point, right? Isn't it? Well, it's more understandable. Honestly, yeah. he he didn't have the courage to do it like at the start, even at the start of this book, and not not to mention about the previous three books. I don't think it was about them getting together. I think it was more just about getting him getting the closure he wanted. It's kind of it's it's kind of funny to me that in like almost every book, this like the kind of thing has a love interest yeah, yeah, yeah. or something. There's only like two I can think of at the top of my head that don't have a love interest in the main series. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, all of them do, but like until this book, um, you get to know that Starflight has a really a huge strong love interest to Sunny, and he actually has has developed so much that he now has the courage to actually speak it, uh, because he always think that if I say everything like this, everything's gonna go wrong. But he actually did it anyways at the end, so that is a huge breaking point for Starflight as well. All right, well, with that out of the way, we're ready. To Talk about the epilogue? Yeah. Sure. Of course. There okay. we go. Yeah, it shows us each of the, the Samwick sisters. We start with Blaze and Glacier, which Glacier's not pleased about them choosing Blister, allegedly. And she wants to meet the Dragonaths oh. just to see which sister they really are supporting. Blister is, meets with Nautilus and his son Squid that ran off earlier back in Act 2. And she presumes that Marosir is dead and vows to kill the Dragonaths. And Burn is keeping Queen Scarlet as her prisoner. Yeah. Yep, that's a pretty fast epilogue. Yeah, it's... it's just, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, like, it's, it's mostly just setting up for, like, the final act of the fifth book. Yeah. It's like... Um, but I think this part is, like, very short. Very... Like, it sounds simple, but it's not. I think it's the, like, both the prologue and epilogue of this book are, like, setups for the next one. 
yeah they i think it, it mm-hmm. is a good uh, it's a good fragment to add to because like obviously you do have all, all the other prologue and epilogue of the other books as well where they're all related to the series but instead of basically just building up to what is what we have currently it builds up to something that's in the future it's like a future proofing thing Mm -hmm. a a huge a good plot actually like because it is like um it basically tells you more about um whatever is going to happen in the future and basically what the outcome will be yeah it's it's a lot happening all right with all that saying uh what are you guys' final thoughts on this book i think personally this is probably like one of my favorites in the first arc because it's just like all that setup and payoff like worked so well it was like a culmination of different things that made yeah. this pretty great. I would give it like maybe an eight. I would say. I'll, yeah, I'll give an eight point five. I think yeah. this book is really good. I do agree with you. One of my favorites as well. Like, if not the the most favorite here, because it it's just so much depth. Like so much, so much of a character development. There's so much of a plot happening, even though it's very concentrated on like a very short period. Uh, I mean, all the books are not like over a very long period, but this book is. Like, I mean, it happens in, like, what, two weeks or a week? Like, it's just very fast of how everything everything just moved on and rolled over. Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd personally give it a solid nine, and I'm definitely biased because I really like this book. But I think there's a lot biased. of stuff. Okay, well, I mean, sorry, this is, my personal this opinion, is, yeah. So yeah. I guess it isn't biased. But yeah. there's a lot of lot of good stuff you can really t- dig deep and digest to, but still simple enough on the surface that you can understand the main plot without having to read it a second time. Yeah, I mean this. I mean this series they call it like young young adults fiction. I think this adds a lot of depth to like to, it's like a bridge connecting you to like the the young adult stage to like the actual adult where you actually get to see all the uh, cruelty of the world conveyed in this book to tell you like how brutal some things are and basically what you have to do in order to develop yourself it basically this whole book like um i think i have like uh the meaning of this book is to find who you really are and at the same time being aware of the others uh, around you and how much they actually care and sometimes and sometimes uh what you have been learning your entire life but might just basically be a lie and you have to be cautious about that altered and jay what are your final thoughts Mm, blind lily shocking eight out of ten nice that gives yeah that gives us an average of 8.5 yeah i'd say so all right All that out of the way, let's dive into Q&A time. This one's from the Glowing Platypus YouTube. Who's your favorite character in this book? Starfight. You know, actually, yeah, I'm going to raise my rating, honestly. Um, Probably a nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Starfight was definitely my favorite character in this book because of the Fs for the reasons I mentioned before, just like that constant like build-up and development that happened throughout all four books, which is pretty great, which is why he's my favorite in this one in particular. Yeah, no doubt about that. That yeah, I think it's pretty reasonable. Starflight, obviously. Yeah. Here's the next question. Wooden Sparrow asks, "What do you think a fried starflight tastes like?" Oh, what? Oh my goodness! Um, not not not, not very good. I assume. Probably. I'm not too sure about that. But they forgot I'm not to, too to sure about that top book. I don't Wait, know. Are you trying to argue why I should eat a Nightwing right now? No, 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 no. Absolutely Dude. not. Dude, 
I, you now, now all I can think about is Tupelo hamburger. Oh yeah, the Tupelo burger. Yeah, oh, that, that's, that's what I that's what I think. Start Starflight tastes like. Just Tupelo I just burger. Thought about Nightwing kebab. Yeah. I love the Tupelo. Okay. What? Um. What? We haven't okay, even next. get to see like uh, we haven't even get to see a dragon. Why would we wonder okay. what they taste like? <laughs> Never mind. Uh, no. Next question. For science. Arjo asks, "Who is your favorite alternate dragon of, of Destiny?" I gotta think about that. I think uh, Fate Fate Speaker was definitely the best. Mm. In my maybe this is just a personal bias because like uh, Flame and Viper were like actively hostile. Ochre like I didn't think yeah. get developed as much because that then again there's a Mudwing bias in this series. And Squid just kind of ran off after burning the Skywing base. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, for me, it would be great speaker the one i hate the most would be squid <laughs> i mean i mean that ceiling is like a, a, it's like how a cowardly as well like yeah a bit a bit of a pain in a butt sometimes i mean it was cowardly but yeah. i didn't dislike him as much as some of the others no yeah it's just so bad yeah, i hate him I, I mean they are generally a bit meaner. I think he's not like the meanest out of all of them. I think, um, like Viper, for example, is a, a, a it's quite mean to some extent. Um, Flame, I think, um, like does a lot of the abusive things to uh to Fate Speakers. So, um, honestly, um, my my favorite is also Fate Speakers. So it's not really a bias here. I don't think you're biased at all. I think that's what generally um a lot of people will have in the, um as their opinion, their topic. And I I honestly can't think of the worst because a lot of them do have the, some of their moments, but um, uh, a lot of them are pretty nasty. I won't say, I, I, I won't say that uh, Squid is my least favorite though. We'll start from p Peck is building his body count by pushing Viper into the lava pool. I, um... Another one for the uh, This, this leads into the next question. Yes, I think so asks... Do you think Viper deserved her fate, or do you think she should have stayed alive and potentially have her own little arc at some point? Um, um I, honestly, no. I don't like killing off actors. I can't really answer this question without spoiling a later arc, because like, there's one character that does get a little bit more focus. Yeah, I, I think like keeping Viper alive would just like have the little arc repeat. Yeah, I mean, it would be, get repetitive, but even as a supporting character, I think there is um, a moment that where um, a moment of redemption if uh, they actually gets to stay alive. So I don't think it is like um, they deserve, like, I don't think if as like a lot of people does a lot of bad things and I don't think they all deserve to die because like, I mean, everybody has the rights to deserve to live if they haven't done anything too bad. And I just think, I, I, yeah, I personally think, like, um, it might get repetitive if they're a main character, but um, if, like, a, a supporting character and you actually get to have them redeemed, actually get them to change, I think that would be pretty interesting, actually. Hmm. Yeah, I think, actually, Viper's death adds more to her character than what is actually initially pronounced. I think, while she didn't deserve it, it's it's a good plot device. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Add one to Either the way it works. Counter. Yeah, PTSD counter seven. Mm -hmm. Currently at seven. They're probably probably doing an interpretive dance about Viper's falling into the lava or something. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
Okay, here we go. Argil the Budwing asks, what do you think Charles Morrissey tastes like? Again? I don't know very, what it tastes like. Uh, Alright. Why are we talking I think about that would taste uh, crispy. Alright, listen, I've had, I have had wizard before. Wizard is extremely crispy. Okay, have you ever... very crispy. Just... Uh, Have you ever made a bagel with like a really bad toaster and then it burns the bagel? Has anyone got another question it? that's not eating someone? Mm, okay, let me think of something. Oh, no, I'm just waiting for the live chat to come up with a question that's not eating Wizard, another Wizard, dragon. Wizard, Wizard burnt bagel. Guys, you need to know that. Did they just like look at the characters of Wings of Fire and think, mmm, dinner? So that next question is what do you think of Flame? What do you think? I think he definitely does get developed a little bit later, but he does like reluctantly agree to go with Starfighter Fate Speaker just to treat his wound. Yeah, yeah. So it's like more like uh, you're getting a benefit as well. Um, like, oh, it's a good trade-off. Uh, they gave me the healing. Uh, they heal me up and then I'll just do something in return. So it's like basically like um, a sort of like ben benefits to cost ratio here. Of course. Yeah. I, I kind of I, I kind of feel like... Um, Flame should have died in book four. I don't really think he made any of the books better that he was in. Yeah, I think Viper. I think Viper. Honestly, like if they did did the other way around, I think there might be some sort of difference to the book. I think there would be some impact because um, Flame later on is like mm, meh, a meh character. All right, let's continue with some questions. Is this? Uh, wait, there's, there's this one, like, fun, uh, fun thing that is called Healed, where they tackle the cut of flame. Mm. Alright, uh, more questions. Um, Rex asks, how resistant are fire skills to ice breath? I think they d fire skills don't get affected by ice breath. Also, spoilers. Um, yeah, they don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, no. And, uh, I can't believe we got hungry. We got yeah, the country, the of, country hungry. of hungry. Okay. What are your thoughts on Squid? Uh, he's fine. He kind of just <laughs> went off. Uh, I mean, you did get to see him again. Uh, get to see him again in the epilogue, I think, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah. He got a he got a brief moment of appearances, but he didn't die. He shouldn't have died. He he was fine. Like he was just cowardly. I I, I couldn't really find any major reason to hate him. Yeah. Neither do I. I thought it was a, a bit annoying, sure, but I didn't want him to die necessarily. No, no neither, neither did I. I don't think he ha has done anything that he deserves to die, except like that might be a bit annoying. So, like, it, like you're, you're trying to say okay. that an annoying person deserves to die, like what? Well, but then again, like half the characters in this book are a bit annoying, so then shouldn't half the characters die as well? Okay. Um... Yeah. Alright, let's, let's probably go through the last of these questions. Mm -hmm. uh, Wooden Sparrow asks, How is it that dragons are the same species despite being so distant in appearance and adaptions to an environment? My answer is probably going to be evolution. Natural selection here. Natural selection, Darwin's theory. Okay. Evolution. Okay. Hopefully we get the book for discouraging. Final thoughts. Mm. Um, here we go. Argel the Mudwing asks, uh, How resistant is fireproof scales to lava? I think Starfly mentioned when Battle Winner came out of the lava pool that they can last up to one to two minutes. Mm. I kind of agree to that, honestly. Yeah. Right. Well, what I'm uh, thinking is, is it like not resistant because the lava would like seep into the scales and then it would burn the inside? I think, so. I don't, 
I don't know. It wasn't really clarified what it does. I, I just know that they can last up to like one to two minutes in lava. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what the, the smaller scales are for. Usually, what's it? They'll have multiple layers. So when they shed one, they'll be able to get another one, or at least that's what's normally assumed about them. Again, fantastical creatures. We can't exactly dissect them and tell. No, but <laughs> not yet. The going platypus YouTube asks, "What was your favorite? Who was your favorite villain in this book?" Well, Morris here because I think he was like the most primary focus, and I thought his. Like, Atticus, you mentioned, like, his development, like, definitely shines through here. Yeah, definitely. Like, you get to see so much detail, like, in, in, like, one character, even though he's, like, a villain. Very interesting. If you don't mind, I would like to add one last thing. Uh, what's it to the last question? Just, I think Battlewinder, as a character and as a concept, is really interesting. Even if they had a short life as a villain and, you know, is very dead now. I think that just the whole, yeah, throw yourself in the lava, you'll be fine, I swear you're not dying. And end up becoming out to be like a really nemesis, like imposing villain. Made it re- a really good villain. At least one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but must be really, really insane or something. Like, say, try to attack, struggling mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. and not killing himself. Of course, mm-hmm. yeah. I think it was pretty much only just being in that place for too long. Mm-hmm. All right, with. Um... Any final thoughts before we close? Uh, I think, honestly, um, it, it is a very steady installment. Um, put a lot, basically, if you think about all, um, a lot of things, all the character developments and all the personalities differences, um, you actually get to learn a lot. And uh, um, it's quite meaningful towards life as well. If you actually get to discover who you really are, boost your confidence in um, some people really needed that, and some people need um, need the sort of um, focus on uh, actually understanding different people instead of focusing all on themselves. So um, a bit less egocentric, and I think that is really. Um, I think this book overall is like really good, and I really did enjoy it. What about you? It was all like the setup and payoff that I really loved about this book, and I definitely think it's one of my favorites in general. Yeah, Absolutely I think- agree. I think this book is just commonly overlooked for the more popular ones, at least, and the plot in it is absolutely amazing. Arc one so, was definitely my favorite, and I think I'll bring that in episode five. Why I like it so much? Yeah, it, it deteriorates afterwards. So, like, uh, no, it doesn't deteriorate, but it's just different. Different, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, all that. Well, thank you so much, all of you, for joining here, and I want to thank you all. Thank the guests for being here and thank the audience for tuning in on this. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm very glad. Yeah, thanks for having us. Of course. And with that, that's where we take off. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Goodbye. Thank you. All right. That was a fantastic episode featuring amazing guests along with the host Top Bug for an interesting discussion about the dark secret going deeper into the Wings of Fire universe. Want to listen to more episodes of The Outclaws? Make sure to check out the Outclaws Discord server. If you haven't already, check out our other episodes. The links are in the description. If you have any questions or want to be part of the show, please contact us at outclawspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you guys next time on The Outclaws. Outclaws.